Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordic Podcast. Today I'll be speaking with Karsten Nielsen. Karsten started in hardware and moved to software engineering and then finally into management where he's been residing. He's held organizational team and technology leadership roles within telecommunications, banking, smart metering and infrastructure. He's been recently working at well-known Danish company Triax as CPO where his primary focus has been setting the strategy, direction, and pace for the entire group. Previous to that, he's been working with well-known companies such as Camstrup, Danske Bank, and Ericsson. Today, we're going to be discussing how to deal with people who are cross-located during a merger and acquisition. So, Carsten, how are we doing today? You okay? I'm okay. Thank you. Hi, Chris. How are you? Very good indeed. Very good indeed. Is this your first podcast, Carsten? It is. It is. Yes. So I'm a little bit anxious. You know, I don't want to say anything I might regret later on. But uh, no, but it's good. It's good. Don't worry. No, no. Really looking forward to this one. Very popular uh, topic at the minute and has been in the technology sector for a long time. Uh, but it still seems to be popular anyway. So really looking forward to talk to you about this. Um, so let's crack on. So, um, Carsten. Tell me about your experience uh, with the uh, M&A sector. Well, my experience is, I would say, uh, long, <laughs> but in short, uh, in, in short intervals. So the first one was uh, in my first job, I was uh, employed by a small, very small Danish uh, telecommunications company uh, of uh, 35 people. And we were acquired by Ericsson which was the Swedish telecoms giant. Of, I think at the time around 100,000 people employed. So uh, that was a very, very big step for us uh, at the time, you know, coming from a very small world of 35 people into a very big one. Uh, and that was my first experience of acquisitions. And, and being the one taken over by this huge giant uh, with all the processes set up and, uh, you know, the whole organizational set up, uh, is is the, that was a big step for us back at the, back at the time that was uh, 25 years ago um, mm. so that was my first my first experience with that and then coming into uh, what we will probably mainly be talking about today the the experience we've had over the last couple of years uh, merging triax with uh, with a competitor from spain um there's a big difference between the two uh, and I think it it could be important to acknowledge that there is a difference between the two, but also a difference. There are many differences. Also, you know, I mentioned the size difference between the company I came from and Ericsson, and and merging two companies that are more more similar in size and so on is uh, that's that's a a different story altogether. Mm. Well, um, have you how many kind of kind of failed merger and acquisitions have you been involved in? <laughs> None so far, I would say. Um, yeah. but it's, it's also a definition of, of, uh, of failure versus success. Maybe what's a successful merger. When did you yeah. successfully merge or something? What, what yeah. that, that's sort of that, that vibe or that feeling that you have. Yes. Mm. Now we are one company. We have, we've been discussing a lot. How do we become one company in this merged mm. company? And, uh, and when, what is, what are the success, the key success factors here? And it's, yeah. it's actually quite difficult. You can easily set up something like, uh, you can measure on this and the, that and the employment satisfaction and, and a lot of different stuff, but it's, it's, it's much about a, a feeling, a vibration in the company and in between the two merged companies trying to make them one. So in general, you know, we, it's about merging people and, and, and less uh, about 
merging companies, I would say. Before we get into the specifics um, and the details, um, just talk us about how you've seen the sector uh, develop in general over the last, what, 25 years? Yeah, I would say that, that from from what I have seen, the number of, of M&As have increased, mm-hmm. um, especially lately over the last uh, maybe five years or so. Um, we see... And, and now I'm talking very much about the sector that, that I'm in of infrastructure. We see a lot more consolidation than, than what we used to. Um, so people are trying to, to uh, probably get a bigger part of the value chain, uh, or they are trying to maybe increase profitability uh, through the synergies they can get from, from an acquisition or a merger um, or an increased market share. Uh, depends a little bit, but, but in general, I would say that that the market is consolidating uh, mm. at, at a higher rate than what it used to. Mm. Yeah, I suppose um, I was at a recent GP Bullhound conference uh, probably about two months ago now, and last year was it um, was a lot of high valuations. There was a lot of merger and acquisitions going on, um, and then this year you can see it almost dramatically decreasing and. People are being a bit more cautious with their money. Have you got any comments on that, Carsten? Um, yeah. I, for example, you know, we've all just come more or less through a, a two-year global pandemic, um, and and one of the one of the main industries that we're in with Triax is is what we call hospitality, which again is mainly hotels. And I think we all know what happened to the hotel industry whenever or as soon as COVID hit a country, all everybody stopped moving around, everybody stopped traveling. And, mm. you know, the, the consequence for the hotels is that uh, they don't have any guests. So in that mm. specific sector, more or less everything stopped overnight. Uh, mm. And and some some projects uh, were canceled, most were at least put on hold because it was also a very a very difficult situation trying to predict when will this stop when will the situation normalize again when will we see a normal world and some months or maybe half a year into the pandemic people were starting to to realize maybe we will never reach what we thought was normal maybe we need to reach a new normal somehow mm. but then again lately uh, sometime last year we saw the hotel industry coming back i would say and traveling started again and we could all uh, throw away the face masks etc so so i think um i think there there that alone, the pandemic alone, has probably also caused people to uh, be more mindful of where they spend or if even they spent their money. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it's a really good point, that Carsten. Um, so let's get into it. As with anything, as as a recruiter providing freelancers, I am selling people to people, and I'm a person by default, um, and therefore I know the challenges in life are generally with people. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> Um, tell us about in, in the M&A, M&A space, um, talk us through the people challenges one could expect in a merger and acquisition. I think from my perspective, there are at least um, four, let's call them categories of, of challenges that we've seen. All of them somehow stem from people's background, right? So, so part of the background is, of course, the strategy you used to have in whatever your company you you were employed with previously. Um, and when you merge two companies, 
There could, of course, be totally different strategies, or it could be more or less similar strategies, but maybe one company is ahead of the other or has a different pace, etc. So uh, one, at least, challenge that is in the end very very important to the people is the alignment of the strategies where do we want this new merged company to go mm -hmm. um so and and uh, maybe a little bit related to that is uh, the fact that often you merge with a company that is like-minded you merge with a company that maybe even is a competitor or at least sometimes in the same industry or or competing for the same customers, competing for the same money, more or less. Um, so, so that's a different kind of background that people have that can also cause challenges. So now all of a sudden we're trying to make one company out of two companies that used to be competitors, maybe uh, that can for sure be a challenge. There will always be some old stories. There will well, always be, or, or at least for a long time, there will be this feeling of us and them. Yeah. And I think that's, that's probably human nature um, mm -hmm. and and getting getting uh, rid of that or or dealing with that uh, feeling and is is quite important that's a big challenge i would say and then not always something that is obvious or visible at the top management level so it's something to be very very mindful of i would say and the mm -hmm. only way in my experience to deal with it is to talk about it, to make it real somehow, because then we can start dealing with it and we can pinpoint, okay, you just said us and them, and, and let's stop doing that. So, yeah. I mean, we all make mistakes. I, I did it as well. <laughs> and yeah. sometimes I still do. Sometimes I still say us <laughs> and them, you know, and it's two years into the merger and, and it's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very much related to the, to, to another topic, uh, the culture that people have, the habits that we have. We have a habit of us and them, and that habit is very difficult to get rid of. Um, but the culture aspect or the category of culture is, is quite widespread, but also very, very deeply rooted inside all of us. Um, so it's, you can say it's, it's, it's for sure something about our nationality. Um, what, what kind of national culture do we come from? Uh, and there's uh, there's at least as many differences as, as there are similarities between, let's say, Northern Europe and Southern Europe. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that, that is in, in the context of companies is uh, fairly obvious is the power distance, you know, between management and, and uh, the employees. Um, then, of course, there's also the, the local company culture. Um, is it a flat? organization is a very hierarchical how do you talk to each other etc so so a lot of of things that are let's say outside of the individual but still something that is deeply rooted within but there's also stuff inside the people right we all have emotions we all have feelings about the merger about us and them about you know, this is a huge change for us. As I mentioned, my first experience was 25 years ago was, was an acquisition. Um, and, and we really felt this us and them, and we really felt like they were just taking over and trying to, to uh, put us all into this uh, Ericsson box. And, and there was a lot of emotions tied into that and dealing with these feelings and dealing with the change that people feel is extremely important because we're merging, as I said, we're merging people. We are not merging companies. We are merging people. We want people to, to be brought together. We want them to work together. We want them to feel like one team all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, 
and we want them to align on where we're going, etc. So that that part, people people are not actually, in my experience, they are not resisting change, but they are resisting change if they feel unsecure or unsafe. So as long as you can you can put words on it, and you can start talking about it and say this is going to change something. Maybe you don't know all of it right now, but talk to people and. Make sure that they know that you have their back. Make sure that they feel you are part of the team so that it's a common failure, it's a common success. I think, yeah. in my experience, that makes a huge change for how people deal with the change. Carsten, um, yeah. dig, digging a bit deeper into some of these, um, you mentioned culture there, right? Uh, and culture, companies build this over time, whether organically or they create values and then hire on, hire on these values. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about emerging acquisition, what practical things can you do early on or during that merger that tries to link the cultures or do you just accept the culture is going to be completely different and then just deal with that side? Kind of what stuff have you done or have you seen that has, that has worked? I have. Uh, well, first of all, I don't think it's something that you can plan in detail nope. because you cannot predict exactly how people will react to this. Um, and in my experience, it's also something that you underestimate when you do, you know, you do the due diligence, you look into the organization, you look into the competences that people have, etc. but you don't necessarily understand the culture. You don't see the habits they have or what kind mm -hmm. of people they are. Yeah. Um, so it's very, very easy to underestimate that part. And I think that's the, I wouldn't call it difficult. I would call it hard because it, it's maybe it's, it's fairly simple actually what needs to be done, but you just need to keep doing it even when it gets tough. So mm -hmm. in my experience, what works is really bringing people together. It's so mm -hmm. difficult to like other people that you have never met. <laughs> it's so difficult to, uh, to understand people that you've never met. It's so difficult to understand their everyday situation if you haven't seen their office, for example. Mm. So bringing people together is a necessary, in my book, a necessary first step to, to really get to this team kind of, of feeling that we want this, this vibe that we want of one company. So I, mm -hmm. that's what we did in, in, uh, in the technology organization within Triax, yeah. uh, bringing these two. So we, we were two companies like-minded, very similar organizations. And there was, uh, there was a technology organization in Triax. There was a technology organization in, in Ikushi, which was the merging company. And yeah. they were very similar in terms of setup, in terms of competences, et cetera. So on all levels, we had to align, we had to, uh, we had to create this team feeling. Um, and luckily I can say that, that we actually managed to do so and that people are actually working together now as one team, totally cross border, totally cross, let's say previous uh, previous employment. And so how does the, how did that actually look like? Was this, um, do you remember when you invited the teams to um, have some sort of do together or was it a weak thing? Was it, and then likewise, factoring in that question, the challenges of a lot of people want to do remote working now. How, how feasible was it? It was, um, it was a bit 
difficult in the sense. Uh, let me let me take your last question first. So yeah. the the uh, during and also after COVID, people mm-hmm. in the Nordics, especially in Denmark, have been working remotely to a very very large extent, mm-hmm. and and we have we we came to the point where we needed to say, okay, at least you need to be in the office on certain days so that we can meet sometimes and have physical meetings, everybody together, right? Uh, and the situation in Spain, where where our merging company uh, is located, is totally different. They have been coming to the office more or less every day, uh, even mm-hmm. through COVID. Um, and of course, dealing with with COVID and taking the precautions that was needed to uh, to be physically together. But still, they were there. So there was a very large or very long period of time where it was really, really difficult to do so. Um, but then back to the first question, how did we actually do it? We did it a little bit at a time. So, you know, sending one guy from Denmark to the Spanish office alone with a mission, a mission not making new comrades down there, but a mission of a common project. So they, he was there for uh, a couple of days and it was, they had a very specific task that they needed to do together. And that was the first success we had. And he came back and he said, they're not that bad. They're actually pretty good, <laughs> right? And they are actually, you know, on the competence side, they are as good as, as and he was using the us and them, he, they are as good as we are. And, and so that sort of, it, it dropped off in the Danish organization and people started thinking, oh, okay, maybe not, not as bad as well. And I know from 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 you know uh, from from rumors that the situation was a bit the same in Spain. I said, okay, this Danish guy he came here. He was not that bad. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> they are not that bad. So that's the way to do it. And then the second time uh, we had a, a few people coming from Spain to the Danish office, and they saw the office there. And going back, they probably said they are not that bad, right? And that's that's how you do it. Simply, it's and that's why I said it's 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 simple, but it's hard. You need to keep on doing it. You need to keep the momentum on this and make sure that also there will during a merger there will be things that you are not a hundred percent um clear about what will the future strategy be or how will we do this or should we choose this technology or that technology and just be open about it say we need to figure that out together let's bring people together and and okay. the situation now after i would say maybe the first year of COVID was more or less everything was on hold but but at least one year working with it is uh, still that we have one team in technology. We have, they are working across borders. They are, they are doing their own handovers for vacation and uh, backing up for each other, et cetera. It's, it's, it's beautiful really, from, from an organizational standpoint. So it's patience, but every trip there was a, a defined purpose. Rather, you go over there, go out for yeah. drinks, yeah. have a drink together and see if you like each other yeah, yeah. so okay and, and then, not, not not saying that we didn't have drinks but that was not the purpose <laughs> no 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 but you, i mean i can imagine in these um especially some some people very high up say oh just get them to go for drinks together or get them to do an activity get together and they'll be fine but i really like the defined purpose part of it uh Kirsten, within within the answer you mentioned their strategic alignment right and obviously you working as CPO over at Triax. Um, how was that? How did you kind of what practical things did you do uh, to align those uh, two strategies across two different businesses? We did. No, I, I will let let's let's dive into, let's say, the strategies around technology. Um, so what we did was we uh, we took the, the key people 
from the Danish organization. We took the key people from the Spanish organization and we brought them together. And when mm-hmm. we said, okay, how can we, we, we have uh, this choice of technology, for example, you have that choice of technology. How do we figure out which is better? How mm-hmm. do we figure out if we want to continue using both or we should uh, align on one? Um, what are the pros and cons, etc.? In the beginning, this was very, I would say, almost religious. And people mm. were like, we chose this technology because it's the best for our application. And, and people in the other end of Europe could say, okay, we have more or less a similar situation, but we chose a different technology, right? So, mm. so and in the end, as I said, it's, it's simple, but it's hard. You need to keep on doing it. And now we are discussing what is best for us and and we we put aside the religion we put aside the emotions there's this term kill your darlings we we are actually at a point now where we are able to kill our own darlings say okay i used to love this technology i used to love this platform or product or or process or tool or whatever it is because i see that it's better for us as one company or as one team to do it in a different way did you um did you lose anyone along the process? We did a few, yes. Mm, we did. Yeah. So, that, of course, there are some people that, as I said before, you need to make people feel safe during this time of change. Some people, either we failed, or at least some people did not like it. Some people simply got better off us somewhere else. Um, so, so, but there was, we, we have lost a few that, that were not happy with this. I would say not due to the fact that we got new colleagues, but maybe due to the fact that there was too much, maybe too much change going on at the same time. Mm. Would you have done anything differently knowing that now? I, I For sure I would. Uh, I would have started the journey maybe a little bit sooner, but I would also have spent even more time talking to people about it. That's where I feel we make the most change. I mean, giving... Sending out an email to everybody or having a meeting with a few people does not make a big change compared to actually having sort of a round table or a common meeting with the whole team standing up in front of them saying, this is the situation, this is how I see it. And then also letting them give their perspectives. It's very, very important to listen to them. There are so many frustrations. There are so many emotions tied Mm. into this. Um, and people do not expect you to be able to take it all the way, but they expect you to listen and to try to understand. And as soon as you do that, you can also explain, ah, okay, if that is your frustration, then there's an easy solution, or maybe there's no solution, but we need to find a way to take away the frustration anyway. Can we do something else about it? But as long as people walk around with their frustrations inside and they are not aired and, and, uh, and the management does not or are not aware of this, then we, of course, we don't deal with it. So, so deal with people's emotions, deal with their frustrations um, in, in the best way you can, as soon as you can. Um, um, previously, you mentioned um, about inviting the key tech people, yeah, or, or a phrase similar to that. Um, when Are you talking about the CTOs, the architects, or are you bringing in the agile coaches, the the best software engineers? Yeah, talk us for who's invited to that table. It depends a lot on the topic, I would say. Yeah. Um, of course, but but uh, you know, there's always there's the ones that have the title, 
And then there are also sometimes people without a title, but still they are some kind of natural leader in the group, in a smaller group. People yeah. always look to the same person for an answer for something. So, and, and normally even in top management, you normally know who these people are, right? So invite the key persons, the ones yeah. that, that, that create the opinions and the ones that can influence others and say, okay, especially in a situation like this, where we need to get rid of this us and them. If one of the key people, one of the, let's say influencers <laughs> to use yeah. the modern word, if they yeah. come back, if they come back and say, okay, I met with the rest of the group and we all agree that this is best for us. I know it's a change for us locally, but this is best. Then that will, uh, that will uh, smoothen it up for everybody, right? Because locally people trust this person. Mm. Did, um, did any time during these processes, did you consider outsourcing? Uh, yes, we did. We did and still, and still do. Uh, we have uh, actually even before the merge, both Triax and, and Ikusi have been outsourcing certain parts of development or production um, and we still do uh, I think in the future um, that could be even more than what it is today of yep. course so Triax wants to be a very uh, let's say value-driven company uh, and we uh, want to understand our customers uh, and and the market to a degree where we are considered partners and not a supplier. Um, so that means that the core competences or the domain knowledge or whatever you want to call it, we need to keep that inside the company. But that does not mean that in the future we will not see a lot of outsourcing or even a lot of temporary or project employment uh, assignments that you know could be relevant for for consultants um, and and guys like you. Yes, it would be much appreciated, and it's exactly what we do for our listeners. If you don't already know that, <laughs> uh, but. When thinking about outsourcing in the M&A space, what's the benefits of that? Is, is, it, is it the fact that all these people challenges are removed instantly? Or just talk us through kind of why one would consider it. It's, um, I would say for us, it was, it was more, are there specific parts of let's say are there specific parts of the portfolio that we have the product mm -hmm. portfolio that require competences that we do not see will be part of the core competences in the future okay. if not then is that an area where we should consider outsourcing yeah as i okay, said so it's going to be extremely important for us if we want to be partners for our customers it's extremely important for us to have the real core competences inside but when you when when you when you're dealing with um the mna how much is obviously you've got customers they've got customers and we're focusing a lot on the people within your organizations and the tech how do you consider the customers and the um the impact it'll have to them. It's, I think it's uh, honestly a little bit similar to the, to how you, let's say, plan for people's reactions. It's very, yeah. very difficult to do so. It's, it has always been one of the top priorities through the merger uh, mm. that our customers should not feel any, well, maybe I wouldn't say not feel a change, but they should feel that they still get the same kind of service that they used to, maybe even an improved one. Um, yeah. But in reality, it's actually quite difficult to plan for in a detailed way. You can always say, okay, 
um, these customers uh, will now be served by this team and not the, the previous team and etc. You can do this planning, but, but carrying that out uh, in real life always brings in some challenges that you were not capable of uh, foreseeing. So it, it, it also requires a lot of focus. That being said, you need to remember who is who, who are actually serving the customers. That's your people, that's your employees, right? So yeah. as long as you get your employees to feel and work like one team, like one company, yeah. I am pretty sure that the customers will also feel that they are still being served in the same way that they used to, or maybe even better. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm pretty sure that all merged companies will have a, uh, maybe if not a gap, then a dip at least in, in, the, in the service level towards the customers due to this. Yeah. Because in the end, it's, it's the people that answer the phone when the customers are calling. And, and yeah. that's not always going to be me, right? Or, or all the parts of top management. In the end, that's a salesperson or uh, a support technician, somebody else. So you're saying the same techniques that you're using to bring the, uh, the tech company uh, together, the, the language decisions um, and all the geopolitics of, different types of cultures is the same way you actually deal with the customers. If you've sorted the stuff internally and sorted your alignment, make sure everyone's happy and understand the the differences, that'll reflect back on how you deal with your customers. Yes, it will. It's not, let's say it's not the entire solution, but it's it's a big part of it. And it's definitely a prerequisite for a successful continuation of, uh, of the customer relationship. Okay. Um, so, Carsten, you briefly mentioned this before uh, about uh, COVID yeah, um, and even uh, supply chain challenges. Talk us through um, how these two areas have affected the M&A space. I would say that one of the effects of, uh, of COVID was that, as I briefly touched upon before, mm. in many parts of the world, people were working from home a lot more. Yeah. Um, so... All of a sudden, there were certain industries that were overnight becoming close to irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, of course, has caused some anxiety, some uncertainty, and also some, uh, some I would say, some urges uh, or, or even acquisitions. Um, the supply chain chaos that we have seen, uh, component shortage, um, you know, raw materials, price increase, freight uh, costs increase, etc. And and also the, the, the increased delivery times or the very chaotic delivery times we've seen uh, due yeah. to all of this has really, it, they, they, all, all industries, I would say, uh, that has anything to do with technology are affected by this. And they are all of them sort of this they are vibrating at a higher frequency somehow they are they are more they are more anxious they are more alert uh, and people get less understanding of of, uh, a delay for example in uh, in a delivery because they have somebody at the other end that will be frustrated also Mm. because they need, need to deliver to them so what we are we have seen a few at least uh, attempts or or even uh, executed acquisitions uh, in the industry. I would imagine due to this, um, because you you need to control a bigger part of the supply chain. So, so what you're saying, so companies now, yeah, because they're worried about their supplier, 
yeah, giving them the products, whether that be hardware, etc., or materials, they are buying that to get the control. We are seeing some some initiatives in that uh, in that direction. Yes, mm. we are also at the same time seeing more or less the opposite um, that people outsource certain parts that they don't want to. It's a bit risky also these days to to have your own production, for example. So uh, so outsourcing the production or parts of the production, we are also seeing that in 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 the industries. Even though that makes you maybe to some extent more vulnerable, it's probably easier to uh, to put numbers on your risks if you do so. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I could I could definitely understand that. Um... Okay, I tell you what, this is very interesting. People involve anywhere from software engineers to C level uh, will have found a lot of this interesting. I suppose the key is taking time to speak with and think about your people. Exactly. I, I that is honestly, I have been spending, I would say, seventy five percent of my working hours doing that for the last one and a half years mm. talking to people uh, you know trying to remove obstacles and uh, challenges and, and trying to understand the frustrations the emotions the feelings people have around this and as soon as we're all humans right so as soon as as you get it out of your system even that part just helps so if you tell it to somebody you get it 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 removes a little bit of the frustration. It doesn't necessarily remove the problem, but it maybe it removes a little bit of the frustration and you can easily contribute to a constructive solution to the whatever challenge you have. Perfect. Um, so we spoke a bit about Triax and for people who, who don't know, Carsten, tell us about Triax, what you're doing at the moment. Tell us about your hiring. Go on, uh, tell us a bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... As, as I said before, we are uh, we are in the process of let's say defining what are the core competences that we need in the future um, mm. and building a team around that yeah. so that we do keep the core competencies inside and the domain knowledge. It's extremely important to understand fully the customers and how you can create value for them. So once you do that and you have the team that is capable of doing that and maintaining that domain knowledge and those competences, then we will look much more into outsourcing or, or let's say making project assignments uh, one at a time. So in the future, we will have much more, I would say temporary uh, or consultant uh, opportunities. We are uh, moving. So the whole world is being digital these days. And mm. uh, of course, the same are we. So uh, we are moving in a much more uh, digital way, servitization, et cetera, everything in the cloud. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's what everybody does these days. And, and of course we do as well um, to the extent that we can. Uh, a lot of the services that are delivered through the cloud are enabled by a certain piece of hardware somewhere in a hotel or an oil rig or a prison or in your house, wherever it may be. So we also still will keep some focus on the hardware bits and uh, and being uh, pretty good at that. We have uh, we have a long and proud history of high quality hardware. So having some high quality and and uh, high value uh, services 
on top of that is is going to be our future what type of people work at triax i would i would say more or less everybody um we have uh, in in the technology department we have uh, engineers data scientists um architects uh, scrum people so you know and and from a hardware perspective uh, from a software perspective from process perspective so i would say we are we uh, carry a, a pretty broad uh, landscape of uh, mm. of competences these days yeah and and, and um, what do you think what do you think what do you think attracts people to work there sorry no uh, attracts yeah. um i would say the one thing that every new employee says when they have been there for a week is i'm extremely surprised how nice and helpful people are mm. so but that's that's not what attracts you because you do not know that beforehand before <laughs> you sign the contract right but that's yeah. actually a, that i have heard i think every new employee say that but what attracts tri- people to triax is the fact that we have a very very well known brand in the industry in all yeah. of europe and uh, we have a very exciting future and we have some extremely talented people working for us so yeah come join the team it's really exciting we have a lot of changes going on and we have a lot of let's say exciting challenges ahead and uh, if people listening now want to apply um how do they get in touch well job openings can always be found on our website they will normally also be posted on linkedin for example so follow the linkedin profile that we have or feel free to reach out to me directly if you want to aston you're an absolute legend man really appreciate your insights today thank you thanks for having me it has been a pleasure